Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. My dear cardio nerds, this is Amit Goyal. Join us on a new adventure as we journey through the maze of clinical practice guidelines. In this series, Decipher the Guidelines, we will take a deep dive into the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines, focusing on similarities and differences from the American guidelines. This is a multidisciplinary collaboration between the CardioNerds, the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section, the National Lipid Association, and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurse Association, developed with a mentorship from Dr. Eugene Yang. And remember, CardioNerds is a fellow-founded, independent educational platform. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Do be a nerd and spread the word on social media and help others find us by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. And hey, hope you're enjoying the intro music, custom mixed for CardioNerds by student doctor Hirsch Elhens, aka DJ Elhens, medical student at USC and CardioNerds Academy intern of House Thomas. And with that, it's time to get nerdy. Okay, let's dive right in. The following question refers to section 3.1 of the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. The question is asked by student Dr. Hirsch Elhans, answered by soon-to-be Mayo Clinic Cardiology Fellow Dr. Theodora Donison, and then followed by expert faculty Dr. Eugene Yang. Dr. Eugene Yang is Professor of Medicine at the University of Washington and the Chair of the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Section. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Teo, I've got a collection of patient vignettes, and I'd love your help in choosing the false one. So the first one is about a 39-year-old man who comes for a regular physical. He has normal vitals and weight and denies significant past medical or family history. He does not need systematic cardiovascular disease assessment. Hey, Hirsch, I'd love to help. Actually, the option you just read, option A, is an accurate statement, as systematic cardiovascular risk assessment is not recommended in men who are younger than 40 years old and women who are younger than 50 years old if they have no known cardiovascular risk factors. This is a class 3 level of evidence C recommendation. Awesome. Thanks for that help, Teo. The next vignette involves a 39-year-old woman who comes for a regular physical, has normal vitals and weight, and has a history of a radical hysterectomy with no other significant past medical or family history. She could benefit from a systematic or opportunistic CVD assessment. Hirsch, once more, option B is an accurate statement. As this patient had a radical hysterectomy, which means the ovaries have been removed as well, so she's considered to be postmenopausal. Systematic or opportunistic cardiovascular risk assessment can be considered in men who are older than 50 years old, women who are over than 50 years old, or postmenopausal even in the absence of known cardiovascular risk factors. This is a class 2B level of evidence C recommendation. I did not know that. Thanks, Theo. Moving on to the third vignette. This one's about a 39-year-old woman who comes for a regular physical, has normal vitals except for a BMI of 27, and a family history significant for hypertension. She does require a systematic global CVD assessment. So Hirsch option C is actually a false statement and would be the correct answer for the question. The recommendation for global screening in this patient are not as strong and would require shared decision-making. Opportunistic screening of blood pressure can be considered in her as she's at risk for developing hypertension. 
Blood pressure screening should be considered in adults who are at risk for developing hypertension, such as those who are overweight or have a known family history of hypertension, just like our patient. This is a class 2A level of evidence B recommendation. Why don't we finish going through all of the vignettes, Hirsch? What do you think? Yeah, that sounds great. The last one is a 39-year-old man who comes for a regular physical, has normal vitals and weight, and has a personal history of type 1 diabetes. Do you require systematic global CVD assessment? Option D is, again, accurate statement. He does require global CVD risk assessment because he has a major vascular risk factor. Major vascular risk factors are family history of premature CVD, familial hyperlipidemia, other cardiovascular risk factors such as smoking, arterial hypertension, diabetes, which is what our patient has. But this also includes other lipid levels being raised, obesity, or other comorbidities increasing cardiovascular risk. This is a class one level of evidence C recommendation. I had another question for you, Hirsch. Do you know the difference between opportunistic and systematic cardiovascular disease screening? I actually do not know. I've I've never even heard of either of these terms before. So opportunistic screening refers to screening without a predefined strategy when the patient presents for different reasons, such as patients who we see in the clinic sometimes. This is an effective and recommended way to screen for cardiovascular risk factors, although it's unclear if it leads to benefits and clinical outcomes. Systematic screening can be done following a clear strategy, formally evaluating either the general population or targeted subpopulations, such as diabetics or patients with significant family history of cardiovascular disease. Systematic screening results in improvement in risk factors, but has no effect on cardiovascular outcomes. That was super helpful. So the main takeaway for this question would be that systematic cardiovascular risk assessment in the general population without cardiovascular risk factors does not seem to be cost-effective and it has unclear benefits on outcomes, although it does lead to increased detection of potentially actionable cardiovascular risk factors. Risk assessment is not a one-time event and it should be repeated about every five years, but there is no clear data to guide these intervals. Dr. Yang, what are your thoughts about screening in young, apparently healthy adults for cardiovascular disease? Do you think there are any nuances in America versus Europe? Tio, thank you for that question. So I think some of the things that you just highlighted are really, I think, important. So opportunistic screening is something that we probably should do more of, for example. So if a patient who's younger than, let's say, 40 comes into your clinic and appears healthy, but his blood pressure is elevated, let's say 140 or 150 millimeters of mercury, that is an opportunity to take some action, as you've talked about. So for somebody who comes in with elevated blood pressure like that, I think we have opportunity to try to review and understand why their blood pressure might be elevated. Is their diet not optimized in terms of sodium? Are they not exercising? Do they consume too much alcohol? So that's an example where opportunistic screening is useful. Oftentimes, if I see a patient who comes in with a high blood pressure, even though perhaps they're here for a different reason, I think we still make an effort to try to discuss the risk factor and come up with a strategy to monitor and then potentially in some cases treat it. But more importantly, when we talk about screening young people, I think we need to think about the whole picture. So if the patient has a family history that you elaborate of premature heart disease in their 
first degree relatives, such as their parents or their mother or father. That's something that perhaps would give us a chance to think about more comprehensive or additional tests to pursue to provide more risk stratification. So for example, a man or a woman who is younger, who has a family history of premature heart disease and their mother or father, those are situations where you might consider doing some additional tests, such as a lipoprotein little a level for risk stratification. In some cases, you might consider doing calcium scoring for additional risk stratification, assuming that you already have baseline labs, such as a fasting lipid panel, a hemoglobin A1C, and other things where you might want to provide additional ways to risk stratify the patient more um, accurately, which may require those patients to need treatment with lipid-lowering therapy or other modifications to their risk factors. Thank you so much for clarifying all of these things, Dr. Yang. And I was actually curious, do you think there are any nuances in the American guideline versus the European guidelines? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the nuances are definitely perhaps related to the use of additional tests, perhaps for additional screening or risk stratification. So one of the things is that imaging is not advocated for very highly in the European guidelines, such as calcium scoring, whereas the U.S. guidelines, as you know, we would use that in the case of patients where there is some clinical indecision about whether the patients need more aggressive potential intervention. So for screening, especially in the context of apparently healthy adults where they may have some additional risk factors that you identify through your history, the U.S. guidelines definitely promote using things like imaging such as calcium scoring as a way to provide additional risk stratification, whereas the Europeans are less enthusiastic about that. Thank you so much for clarifying that. Theo and Dr. Yang, thanks so much for this great discussion about how to be judicious with our screening resources. Boop. Boop.